Hi, and welcome, or welcome back, to the Southside Baptist Church podcast. Before his death, Jesus took the bread and wine associated with the Passover meal and revealed a deeper meaning. This ancient ritual had been a way to remind Jews how God had delivered their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. But now, Jesus began to show how this bread and wine weren't just pointing back. They were pointing ahead to an event that was just about to take place, an event that would redeem all mankind from slavery to sin and death, an event that would secure eternal freedom for all who would accept it. Join us during our With This Cup series that explores the meaning of the Lord's Supper and how the timeless meaning of this ancient meal still has power today. I want to introduce to you a a, a guest who is with us. Uh, This is Mary, and Mary's husband Dan is with her today. Mary, if you would come on up, and if you would give Mary a nice, warm Southside welcome. Mary, thank you so much for being here today. Now, Mary uh, works at Taverna, which is right across the square from us. So those of you who have enjoyed some good food at Taverna, this is a shameless plug for our San Marco merchants and, and the restaurants right here. It's a great place to go and have lunch. So Mary has been in food service for over 20 years, you said. 20 years. And you don't look like you would be old enough to be in service for a time. So um, now, Mary, uh, Mary, I've asked her to come because I needed an expert in etiquette, which I am not. My, my wife will tell you that. But I needed an expert in etiquette. So Mary, um, can you tell us, obviously, uh, this is a napkin. Yes. And it is a cloth napkin. Correct. As opposed to a paper napkin. Correct. A linen. L- linen. See, a linen there napkin. you go. Yeah. Linen napkin. Now, now Mary, when, when, when you go to a restaurant... Um, there is napkin etiquette. Correct. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit, for those of us who need to be educated, what, how, what we should do with this? <laughs> well, please wipe your face, okay, of course, good. if need be. Um, but, you know, when you come to a, a nice place to eat, uh, we're not as fancy as putting a napkin across your lap, but some places will. But, you know, we'll just have it across your lap to catch any crumbs or whatnot and do your face when you have some food on there. So make a mess. when you get up and leave now, I, and I, I just, I really thought I didn't, you know, my grandmother had some crazy ideas, so I wasn't always sure if what she was telling me was just her crazy idea or fact, but you told me this is true. So when you leave the table, yeah. if you've got to leave for any reason and you're planning to come back, yep. what should you do with your napkin? Well, a lot of people just throw it on a seat or, you know, a side to the plate because they're going to come back and finish the rest of their meal. Um, but, um, and if they do... As a server, I'll come up and take your napkin when you're away from the table, phone call, restroom, whatever you need be, and I'm going to quietly, silently fold it and place it back at the table next to your meal because I know you're coming back. Okay, so, so now if I'm going to, if, if I put my napkin on my plate, that gives you a clue. I'm going to assume you're finished. You're going to assume I'm done. But if I just leave my napkin laying there, you or somebody is going to come and that napkin is magically folded and back because you expect that I'm coming back. You're coming back. All right. Very good. Can you give my friend Mary a warm thank you for coming and sharing with us today? Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Dan, thanks for coming. 
So we have been in a series the last several weeks called With This Cup. And this series is about communion, but if you've been coming for a few weeks, you know it's about a lot more than just communion. The Lord's Supper, Eucharist, Mass, whatever your religious tradition, it may go by a different name, but it's the same idea. It's this ancient meal that Jesus ate with his disciples the night that he would ultimately be arrested and then put on trial and ultimately crucified. And so this meal has so many incredibly rich meanings that we have taken the last few weeks to explore those meanings. It's almost like if you were looking at something through a prism and you've got different angles that you can see things. And that's how communion is for us. Uh, So several weeks ago, we took communion and with this cup, we looked back and we remembered uh, what Jesus had done for us, how Jesus' death on the cross is a demonstration of God's love for us. And then the second week, we took this cup and we looked within. And we remembered how Jesus, with this cup, showed us and reminded us of our need for a Savior. Like we all have brokenness, we all have mess in our lives, nobody's perfect, and because of that imperfection, we all need a Savior. So with this cup, we can look in and we can reflect on our need for a Savior. And then last week, we took this cup and we looked around, and we saw how communion reminds us that we're not in this alone. But just like the disciples, we are sitting at a table with people around us that Jesus' death was for all of us, the communion, community, and that we can see in each other the work that God is doing and how he is building his kingdom here on earth. So today, I want to do one last, I want to take one last glimpse with this cup, and I want to look beyond. So today we're going to take this cup and we are going to look beyond. Now to do this, I want to go back and look at the very basic story, the very basic account of the Lord's Supper as Jesus served his disciples. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 will be in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the verses on the screen. There are also Bibles in the racks in front of you that if you want to use a paper Bible, and if you don't have one at home, please feel free to take that as our gift to you today. But we're going to be looking at Matthew 26. Now, if this is your first time with us and you've missed some of these other messages with this cup, uh, you can go on to online and you can find the podcast or you can find the live stream there. And uh, maybe you would want to uh, look into these a little bit more. And again, if you have any questions about what we're talking about, we'd love to hear from you on that communication card. And you can turn that in when the offering comes about in just a few minutes. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. This is what happened. Now, as they were eating, now that's important because a lot of times in church we get this idea that it's just this little tiny cracker and a little drop of grape juice, right? That's the, it, it was a full meal that they were eating. So while, while they were eating, now while they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Okay, we're, if you've been in church any length of time, You've, you've heard that, you've seen that, you've experienced that, and you know what's next, right? What comes next after you take and eat the bread? What's next? Right, the wine, the cup, right? You take the cup, and he had this wine. But now what we don't, what we don't often understand is that there was more than just one cup of wine in the Jewish Passover, In fact, there were four cups of wine that would have been part of this Seder meal, this Seder tradition that Jesus was using to demonstrate to them what he was about to do. So these cups each had a specific use. So the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. Now this was the cup that they used to remember how God had delivered the Hebrews out of bondage in Egypt. 
So it was this cup of sanctification, and they would drink that cup. And then there would be another cup, and this would be the cup of judgment. And this was the cup that remembered, that reflected how God had poured out his judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You remember the plagues? Anybody ever see the Charlton Heston movie? Yeah, the plagues that came. And so this was the cup of judgment, and they would remember how God had poured out judgment on the Egyptians to deliver them. And then there was a third cup. And the third cup was the cup of redemption, okay? The cup of redemption. And this is what the Hebrews would say. Remember, they'd been saying this for thousands of years. They had been saying that this cup, I will redeem you. This is the word, this is the word of God. They would drink it and they would quote God and they would, they would say, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. This is the third cup. Now, it was this cup... When Jesus said this, verse 27, and he took a cup. Notice it doesn't say it took a cup. So this is the third. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this was this cup of redemption. And he's saying, this cup of redemption that is going to, that is going to save you, this cup that we say, I will redeem you with a what? With a what? With an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And so he says, I am going, this cup is representative of my blood, which is poured out for the redemption of your sins. But then he says something really interesting. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of times when we come to church, we skip these verses. And the reason we skip them is because we don't always understand what they mean. But listen to what he said next. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus basically was telling them, okay, this cup, this third cup, the cup of redemption, represents my blood which is poured out for you. By the way, guys, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, there are lots of different ways that people have tried to explain these verses. Uh, one way that people have tried to explain these verses is just said, see right there, Jesus said we shouldn't drink wine anymore. Like, no more alcohol. That is not what that means. That is, not, that is a complete abuse of this scripture. Other people have said, okay, here's what it means. That, that this, this, this verse really is Jesus saying, I am about to die. Because he knew that ultimately he was about to be arrested, he was be crucified, and he's saying, I'm not going to drink it again with you because I'm about to die. And so I'm not going to drink it again with you until after that happens. That's one understanding, one idea. But there's another, there's something bigger going on here. There's something more than just that. Because he, he was also saying, there is no longer a need for you to participate in sacrificial and sacrificial worship. In other words, there's no need anymore for for the slaughter of animals and for the spilling of blood for the redemption of your sins. That that the Jews had been practicing sacrifice as a way to uh, remind them and as a way to demonstrate to God their need for redemption, for, for salvation. And so they would make animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. And one thing Jesus is saying here is, hey, that's not necessary anymore. But I think there's something even more significant that Jesus is wanting us to understand. He, he wasn't just saying that he was about to die, although he was about to die. He was also saying that he wasn't going to drink the fourth cup. See, there would be a fourth cup that would have been a part of the traditional 
Seder meal that the Jews would have experienced. And it was called the cup of praise or the cup of Hallel, which is where we get the word hallelujah. Everybody's familiar with that expression of excitement or, or praise. The word hallelujah, Hallel, the cup of Hallel. And what this cup represented is I will take you to be my people. So Jesus was saying, I am not going to finish this meal with you now. Because I am going to complete what I started, and I am going to not just, not just forgive your sins, although that's pretty good. I am going to actually take you, and I'm going to make you my people. You're going to be with me. We're going to be together. So Jesus did not take the fourth cup, and he said, and I will not drink it again until I'm with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, that's interesting. That's kind of cool Bible trivia, but what does it mean? I want us to look at this because I think one of the things Jesus is communicating to us that's really important, especially for those of you who would say you are a Christian, you go to church, you're religious, you believe this stuff, this is really important for us. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't come to church much, guess what? You may actually be ahead of us on some of this. Okay, so, so I want you to listen in because I think it's important, but, but ultimately one of the things Jesus is communicating is that with this cup, we look beyond religion. We look beyond religion. Jesus uses this symbolic meal to point to himself as the way to God. Up until this point, everybody believed that somehow if they wanted to get to God, they had to go through an animal sacrifice. They had to go through a priest. They had to go through the temple. Basically, they had to go through some religious ritual, some religious way of living in order to hope that they would somehow be found worthy to be in God's presence. But with this cup, one of the things Jesus is pointing out is you don't need any of that anymore. With this cup, you look beyond religion. Jesus has replaced religion with himself. Now, I know this, this really flies in the face of what a lot of us want to believe and we've grown up believing, but for some of you who maybe don't go to church much, you would say, yeah, I've always felt that way. Because here's the thing, Jesus is not calling you to be a religious person. He is in fact telling you he has freed you from religion, that you don't need religion to get God, that's what he has done for you. And so by a relation, through a relationship with him, through communing with Jesus, we have access to God. So Jesus wasn't doing this to point to, a, to create a new institution. He didn't take this cup and say, all right, now I am going to start a new, the old idea of Jewish worship and the temple worship, we're going to do something new. Now we're going to create a new world religion called Christianity. Don't you think if Jesus had wanted that to be the case, he would have just said that? He could have just said that. But that's not what he did. In fact, Jesus wasn't trying to create a new institution, the church. And he wasn't trying to replace an old one, the temple. He didn't create a new Christian priesthood to replace an old Jewish priesthood. He wasn't somehow saying that because I stand up here and you pay me to talk to you for 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday that somehow I've got greater access to God than you have. No. Jesus said, I am everything you need to have access to the Father. Me, right here. Jesus uses this meal to show us that we come to God through a relationship with him, not through religion. And so we eat the bread, we drink the cup for one reason, to remember what Jesus did for us, what he has done for us. Not what we have to D-O, but what he has D-O-N-E. We don't come and we don't drink the, drink the juice and eat the cracker because we need to be forgiven from our sins. In fact, 
We have been forgiven of our sins, and so we come to the table to celebrate what Christ has done for us. Are you tracking with me? Is that making sense? And do you see how incredibly important it is to know the distinction between those two things? Because to be honest, it's so much easier just to show up to church and be religious. It's so much easier just to check the religious boxes and say, I'm doing all these things, and never have to actually engage with Jesus in a relationship where he might actually, he might actually in, in, in call me in my heart, in my life, to make serious changes in the way I think, in the way I live, in the way I act. But if I can just somehow keep Jesus in the box, keep him in the church box, like they tried to keep God in the temple, if I can somehow just say, well, I don't have to worry about pursuing a relationship with God, that's what we pay the church staff to do. See, that's so much easier. If we can just say, no, 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 we want to create a new religious system But that's not what Jesus did. He was instead inviting us to recognize we've been forgiven of our sins. So we don't come to a priest to dispense God's grace through these elements. Jesus has already given you his grace on the cross. And it's available for anybody who would accept and believe his offer of redemption to you. And so this meal is just a way that we remember that. With this cup, we look beyond religion. But it's even more practical than that. Because with this cup, we also look beyond our present circumstances. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14. This would have been shortly after the meal, or this would have been shortly after the meal that he had served them in the upper room. He says this because they're really confused. The disciples have all their hopes pinned on Jesus. They think he is going to be this military conqueror, that he's going to come in, clean out the Romans, and set everything right, and he's going to sit on the throne and rule and reign, and they're starting to figure out that's not what he's going to do. And he's also saying things like he's about to be crucified, and they're feeling really uncomfortable. And then Jesus says this to them in, in John chapter 16, or 14, uh, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, have you ever had somebody in your life who, I mean, the wheels were coming off the bus and they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, what are you, what are you, what are you worried about? Like, you got somebody in your life like that? Like, they, like, you, you, like things are just falling apart. And they're, they're like, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Now, some of those people have tremendous faith and you should listen to them. But some of those people just honestly aren't paying attention, right? <laughs> Jesus is not, the, is not the second one of those. He's the first one. Jesus was telling the disciples, listen, guys, I know it is about to get really, really, really hard for you. You have no idea how hard it's going to be. I mean, until just a few hours ago, you were thinking you were going to be my cabinet when I came into power. And that's not what it's going to be. And actually, in a few hours, you're all going to be hiding. You're going to be running for your lives. And by the way, ultimately, um, all of you except one, you're going to die a terrible, horrific death because you follow me. Uh, and the one of you who lives to old age, you're going to be exiled on an, uh, you're going to be exiled on a deserted island for the last part of your life. So you got that going for you. So, so Jesus is saying, hey, but in the middle of all that, don't let your heart be troubled. If you trust in God, you can trust also in me. Why did he say that? Because Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus came to be with us. He's God in flesh. He said, hey, you trust in God. You've grown up your whole lives believing in this God who you can't always see, you can't always hear. Well, here I am in the flesh. You see me. You've had a meal with me. You can touch me. You can believe me. You can trust me. And then he says in verse 33, uh, John chapter 16, down at verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Where are you going to have peace? 
in, in him, right? In me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Or you, some of your versions may say, in this world, you will have trouble. Has anybody figured that out already? Like, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Anybody, anybody in here not believe that? All right? I think we're 100%. Yeah, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he says this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, with this cup, as they're getting ready to experience, they're literally eating symbolically the body and the blood of Jesus that's about to be broken and poured out. But he's saying, you know what? Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be all kinds of trials that are going to come your way. But take heart. Stick with me because I've overcome the world. And so if you stick with me, you'll overcome the world too. This is why the Apostle Paul, a great church planter, who, who was at first not even a believer. He didn't even believe. In fact, he went around trying to kill all the Christians, those early Christians. And he ultimately became a believer. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote back to one of his churches one time. And he said, you know what? All these troubles we have, they are light and momentary afflictions compared to the glory that's in store for us. So, so one of the things you need to understand, and some of you, I know some of you are going through some really tough things right now. When we come to the communion table, when we come and take these elements, one of the things that we are doing is we are holding on to the hope and the promise that Jesus has overcome the world. And that by placing our faith and trust in him, we can overcome it too. You can overcome it too. And so I don't know what struggles you face. You may be right now facing an incredibly difficult medical challenge. You may have gotten terrible news this week from the doctor. Take heart. In this world, you'll have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. You may be going through a terrible relationship problem right now. You may be facing divorce. You may be facing bankruptcy. You may not be sure if you're going to have a job by the end of this week. Take heart. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And so with this cup, we look beyond our present circumstances. We look beyond the struggles that we have today to say our faith and our hope is not in our circumstances. Our faith and our hope is not in our current condition. Our faith and our hope and our trust is in Jesus. And just as he endured the cross, and just as he died, and just as God raised him from the dead, God will deliver me from this trial. God will deliver me. Why? Because I'm good enough? Because I'm worthy enough? No. Because none of us are. In fact, some of the trials we're going through, be honest, come on, you can be honest. Some of the trials you're going through, like you created the mess yourself, right? I mean, right? I mean you, you created this problem. A decision you made, something you knew you should do, and you created the problem. But Jesus said, it's okay, because I've overcome the world. And, and I will redeem you with my, what? Outstretched arm. And I will take you to be my people. And so he says, with this cup, we look beyond our present troubles. But there's one more way. With this cup, and this is the best news of all, And for those of you who are younger, this one won't seem as important to you. But for those who are getting older, this one means more every day. Because with this cup, we look beyond the grave. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 20. This is so incredible. This is the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By by the way, if you're not a Christian, let me just say something. And this is a plug to come on Easter Sunday. So so if if Jesus didn't rise from the dead... uh, then everything we're doing is just a waste of time. Like, like, that's, the, like that's the only thing that ultimately matters. If, if that didn't actually happen, then, then we might as well just pack up and make all the churches museums and libraries and, and theaters. 
And so, so one of the things that, that is really important for Christians is to celebrate. I know the world likes to celebrate the, the birth of Jesus or, or Christmas. They don't even necessarily recognize it. But, but really for Christians, the most important day for us is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. But listen to what happened on that day. John chapter 20. We'll talk more about this in a couple weeks. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Because when Jesus was laid in the tomb, um, there was a lot of rumor that he had prophesied that he would rise again. So they put a stone in front of the tomb and they put guards there just to make sure that nobody came and stole the body. So she ran and went to Simon, Peter, and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, so... The women were the first to the tomb. They come back and they tell the guys who were probably still sleeping. They woke them up. So Peter went out with his other, the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Now get ready. Stay with me. Both of them were running to- together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him. And went into the tomb, he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in place by itself. Now our friend Mary told us what that means. It means he's coming back. The fact that that linen cloth was folded and left on that stone tablet where the body had been just just hours days before instead the grave clothes were neatly folded because Jesus is coming back here here's why that's so important for us because so many times when we're going through the difficult struggles in life when we're going through hardships and trials in life we feel like we are waiting on God many of you have even heard that we've talked about that a lot here at Southside what do you do when you're waiting on God Well, here's the truth of the situation. We worship a God who is instead waiting on us. That he said, I'm not going to drink this cup again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. That Jesus is anxiously waiting for that day. That day when, as he promised, that he will come back and he will take us to be his own. The final hallelujah until we drink it together. You see, and here's what religion says. Religion says, hey, you should keep working until you finally get it right. You should keep making sacrifices. You should keep, uh, keep doing all the religious rituals. Keep trying to in, in, in improve your behavior, modify your behavior in such a way that you get it right. You should keep trying and trying and trying until you finally get it right, and then somehow God will be pleased with you and you can have a relationship with God. But Jesus said on the cross, it is what? Finished. And that he is in fact waiting on you. That he is in fact the one who has overcome death and the grave and all the trials and struggles and temptations we can face in life. And he says, hey, you have faith in God, have faith in me. You'll have trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. As we get ready to take communion uh, this morning, again, I just want to say, if you are here and, and you would say you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate. You don't have to be a member of this church. You're welcome to come uh, we will come forward. There will be an usher who will, who will uh, lead you. You'll go out the right side. You'll come forward. Uh, you'll take a piece of the bread. 
you'll dip it into the cup and you can eat it. And then you'll go back to the left side of the pew where you are. If you are physically unable to leave, the person who is, uh, who is ushering will have the elements and can serve you where you're seated. But, but here's what I want you to do, okay? We'll do this in just a, just a minute. But as we do it, I want to give you some questions to think about. These are on your bulletin inside the sermon notes if, if you want to remember them. But, but here's some questions for you. And then the first one might take some thinking outside of this time together today. You might need to put some time in this as you leave here this week. Which word best describes your relationship with God? Which word do you want to describe your relationship with God? Would you say that your relationship with God is intimate? Would you say it's distant? Would you say it's growing? Maybe you would say my relationship with God is hostile. Maybe for some of us, we would say our relationship with God is stagnant. Maybe you would say your relationship with God is passionate. Right now, as you look within, take this cup and look within, what is your relationship? How would you describe your relationship with God and how do you want it to be? The second question is I want you to list anything in your life preventing your relationship with God from becoming what you want it to be. Because here's the truth, because I know it's true about me, so I can just assume that it's true for you. A lot of times I know the thing in my life that's keeping me from drawing closer to God. I already know what it is. I just may not want to do anything about it. So are are you willing to, to look at yourself? Now, I'm not judging you. Nobody around you is judging you. But are you willing to look into your own heart and say, what do I need to change in order to draw closer to God? And are you willing to begin to make those changes? Next question. Are you facing a difficult circumstance that is overshadowing your eternal hope? Are you facing a struggle right now that is so overwhelming your heart and mind that you are, you are consumed in the troubles of this world? Let me ask you, how can Jesus' actions help you look beyond your circumstances into the hope that we have in him? And finally, have you recently suffered a devastating loss? Maybe it was someone you love who has passed away. Maybe it was a divorce. But how does Jesus' resurrection give you hope as you face that loss? So this morning, as we get ready to take communion, I'm going to invite the musicians to come up in just a few moments. But before they come, I'm going to ask those of you who are serving communion, if you would come down and uh, prepare to serve this morning. And as they're coming down, let me just remind you again, someone will come and usher you from your right, and then you'll go back to your left as your row's been served. Um, In the meantime, I hope you'll take just a few moments and pray and reflect on those questions as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray together. Father, today we come to this time of worship and with this cup and with this bread. Lord, we would ask that you would lift our eyes beyond our present circumstances, beyond the things that are seen to the things that are unseen. Father, I, I, there's no way I can know what all the people in this room are going through what troubles in the world they're tangled up in. Some of those troubles may even be of our own making. Others may be through no fault of our own, but whatever they are, Lord, we know your promise that you have overcome the world and that, Lord, you are waiting on us. The napkin is folded, the cup of wine is poured, and you are waiting on us before you drink it. So, Lord, as we come and we take communion today, may we remember that we worship a God who waits on us. May we remember that we worship a God who loved us so much that, that you, would, you would come and you would take on our sins, that you would extend your arms on that cross 
that we might be forgiven. Lord, not because of our religious rituals, but because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, for those who are here today who have placed faith in Christ and are taking this, I pray that some way in a new way today that we'd be reminded again of what it is you've done for us and how we can look beyond our circumstances. But for those who are here today who may have never placed their faith in you, I pray that today, today they might just receive you, that they might accept what you've done for them, this gift, Father, that you've given them freely, and that even today they might, they might uh, invite you to be the Lord of their life. Father, we honor you, we worship you in this time. May we remember what Jesus has done and look beyond religion to see the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you happen to live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. For direction, service times, information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.